Welcome to Meet the Filmmakers at the Apple Store, Regent Street in London. Please welcome our guest moderator, journalist and broadcaster, Miranda Sawyer. Thank you for that. A very generous round of applause. It's very nice to see you all here, especially on a very hot day. Um, in a minute, I'm going to bring on Shane Meadows, director of Made of Stone, along with other fabulous films, and Mark Herbert, who is the producer, who also makes an appearance in Made of Stone, as does Shane. But before I do that, I thought we should see the trailer for the film. One of your heroes actually to make a documentary about your all-time favourite band there getting back together after 20 years. We were like around each other's houses at night and we loved it. <laughs> we loved being together, loved playing music. Manchester's Stone Roses have made the leap from cult band to the hottest phenomenon of the moment. A lot of things happen that are out of our control. I could see in Ian's eyes that there's no future in it. This is a live resurrection that we've invited you to, so you better be careful. <laughs> Stone Rolls is getting back together, it's all too much. Obviously, can't quite believe that it's happening. We're going to take it around the world. Why are they so important to people? You know, and I know, but you can't write it down, can you? It's the reason why I've still got my hair like this. The reason why I've never worn a tie. There's a reason why I listen to that album at least once okay. a week. It still, still makes me tingle. It takes time for people to fall in love with you. But it's inevitable. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Shane Meadows and Mark Herbert. <laughs> Infomercial Mike. <laughs> Um, so, let's start from the beginning, you two. Um, I'd like you to describe what you were like as Stone Roses fans when you were young. Shane, what, what did you look like? Uh, I had... Um, well, I'd started receding when I was about sort of 16. I'd got uh, this kind of Greek gene pool. that I've not got any Greek in me, but I was, such, I was starting to get very hairy and receded very young, <laughs> and I was desperately trying to grow one of these... Stone Roses kind of haircuts, but it was failing miserably. So I thought, if I dye my hair blonde, they won't see these kind of missing pieces here. And then I, <laughs> I grew a moustache to accompany that. <laughs> so I looked more like a kind of small-time tracksuit crook than a Stone Roses fan. But I tried. I made the effort, and it didn't really work. What about you? I, I was actually... It was eight, I was 18, and I didn't know what I wanted to do after A-levels, so I went on the kibbutz. <laughs> with my, with, who's now my wife, Anita, and uh, 
and we went on this kibbutz and I'd, so I became a hippie, I had dreadlocks. <laughs> but I had the tape in my backpack, that was like one of the four, so I've always said to be sat here sort of like 20 odd years later, if you'd have said, as we were sat on a beach in Egypt or traveling around Greece, you know, so I had dreadlocks, which is hard to believe. <laughs> no, <It is>. yeah. <laughs> Um, so you were fans, very yeah. definitely fans. I know that you missed Spike Island and it broke your heart at the time, didn't it? Yeah, I had a, a ticket for Spike Island and uh, for one reason and another, um, I ended up in <laughs> not the best of places the night before the gig and, um, and I ended up giving my ticket away. I was from a really small, tiny little place called Utoxita and, um, and I, I don't think I'd ever left the borders in my life. I think I went to Burton-on-Trent on a bus once, which was about eight miles away. Um, and the closest I ever got to the Manchester scene was I bought a second-hand poncho from, that someone had bought from Aztec Palace in Manchester. So I was kind of like the opposite of an Uber fan in a way. But the music uh, meant everything to me. And you know, I, I remember my first kiss with a, an artistic lady uh, happened whilst listening to Waterfall. I played the vinyl. I'd just started college. And I'd been out with hairdressers up to that point. Lovely ladies, but... Um, no tie-dye, no painting, no sculpture. And uh, me and her were discussing uh, Klimt. And uh, I whacked Waterfall on, and we started kissing. And uh, so when it becomes a soundtrack to your life in that way, um, those things stay with you. Yeah, well, they do. And um, I wanted to get that kind of in, because what I wanted to, for you to talk about, really, was the fact that you were a massive fan of the band. Yeah. And then you realised you were allowed to make a documentary about them. That's quite a difficult position to be in as a filmmaker, really, meaning that you want them to like you as yeah. well as make a film about them, and that can be quite compromising, no? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, there's a few instances where I was sort of thinking, you know, look, I've, got a, I, I, I'm, I've won a BAFTA, come on, I'm cool. I must be cool. <laughs> Surely now I'm sort of half cool and I'm going to hang around with these people and... Uh, but my nerves got the better of me, and you'll see throughout the film that I am like a 17-year-old dork in it. Um, and, um, you know, the first time I met the band, they, um, they you know, because I, I basically Ian had rang me and told me the Roses were getting back together. I knew Ian a little bit, and he'd come and done a cameo in a, in a series that I'd made, This Is England. And um, so I'd, his number came up on my phone, and, and I picked this phone call up, and I thought maybe I'm going to finally get to make one of Ian's pop videos, you know, because I'd said I always wanted to do one. And it turned out to be the Stone Roses were getting back together conversation alongside, and we want you to make the film. And so, you know, roll forward 10 days of me and Mark holding this secret from our wives, our families, our friends. You know, we had to keep it quiet. And uh, we went to the press conference and the band, I went down and shot the conference. And all the time, you know, there is that sort of slight needy desperation, <laughs> you know. Um, Did you they, feel like you were on trial a bit? No, not so much on trial. I think I put myself on trial. And, and, I, and I, for the, the first time I sort of felt like I was, I was cracking it was when they said they were getting in the lift after the press conference and there was one space left. And they went, Shane, you know, jump in. And I thought, this is, this is it. You know, this is big steps. And I got in and the alarm in the lift went off because it was too much weight. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And obviously they didn't laugh at first because they were gentlemen and I sort of stepped off and it stopped. And I swear my life, I put my boot on and it went... <laughs> and I went, oh, I'll see you upstairs. And I just walked off and that was the beginning of a quite a treacherous, uncool relationship. I went to John Squire's house one day with a cut of the film and um, got lost 
uh, every time you know I tried to turn up on time, something just went wrong. And I went to, I got stuck up this hill. This girl Libby, who was like co-producer on the film, was driving up this hill, and uh, we started skidding at the top of this icy hill. Uh, in you know, whenever it was January, and we started sliding back down this hill. And I've got the laptop with the only copy of the film existing on my leg, and I'm dead late and dead stressed and bright red, and uh, and really hot, even though it's freezing. And, and we slide down this hill, and, and we, we managed to land in a hedge, and I go, flipping, and that was close. You know, I thought we were going to go all the way down and, like, die. And then a horse came over the top of the hill, <laughs> like a kind of, uh, you know, fear and loathing in uh, Las Vegas kind of image, over the top of the hill. Then it slipped over itself because it was so slippy, landed on its bum, and slid down the hill at high speed towards the car. <laughs> And I'm sat there going, what a way to go. What a way to die. By a horse lost in Macclesfield. The horse managed to sort of, I don't know what it did, it sort of dug in and went right. And, uh, and then <laughs> I was so red hot, I thought, that is just like, I'm going to get out and walk. I said, Libby, I'm going to get out and walk. I wound my window down to get some air. And this is, the, this is the God's honest truth. A Canadian goose that sort of... <laughs> I'm not kidding. It went past the window. All the other, all its friends had gone back about three months before, decided, I don't want to stop here. I'm going to go back to Canada. It's freezing. And it did a poo. And it came down towards the car, in through the window. And I was on the phone ringing John to say, I'm going to be late. It hit my hand, my face, all over my iPhone, all inside the case, and all over my white Fred Perry. So I turned up at his house, basically covered in duck. Goose poo. And I went, hello, I'm Shane. I'm disgusting. You know, Joey Tribbiani. It was like... And, uh, yeah, and I sort of realised then it was never going to work. That's why I could never be in a band. That's why it didn't happen. If you um, think about the difference between... I mean, obviously, you're known for your for drama. And this is a different project, isn't it? It's like, you... you I mean, whether or not they're your favourite band, you're still making a, a documentary about a group of quite disparate, difficult characters that have got a bit of a kind of volatile relationship within themselves anyway. Um, did you have a, a great plan? Did you, I mean, did you tell him to it was, <laughs> do it this way? It was really quite nerve-wracking as a, obviously as a, as a producer, you're always there with, like basically when we've raised the money and we hit prep and then we hit the first day of, of photography, I know exactly where everyone is, I know what hotel they're in, I know what time they're getting picked up to the minute, where they are in makeup, what scene we're doing, what time we should be off that scene. It's kind of all mapped out. And even with the improvisation that, that, that Shane does, it's all mapped out. But on this, it was, we had no idea. So a lot of the times was kind of like always trying to forge a contingency plan. So a lot of it is like, okay, so... And I was really, we were really inspired at the time by Senna as a documentary and... and and we got the archive producer, Sam, who, who produced that, because I was thinking, well, what if, what if the band don't talk to us ever, don't let us go and let them... You know, that, what my favourite moment is the rehearsal stuff. But we didn't know that was going to happen when we started to got the, film, the money for the film. So we just had some great backers in Film 4 who just backed us all the way and just said, you know what, we know you'll get there, it'll be painful. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, you know, but we know you'll get there, we kind of trust. And so all the time it was like thinking, OK, so if we don't... What if we didn't get... What if they split up? What if they do this? So all the time, you sort of... I just tried to describe it today if you th from a filmmaking perspective, is that the way we work is Shane's thinking about what's happening today and I'm thinking about what's happening tomorrow. And that was all... The, and it changed. And literally, you'd walk somewhere... Like Warrington, we didn't even... Even on the day of Warrington, it was not 
re we didn't know if it was actually going to happen. So we've got all, you know, so all the time it was literally just completely thinking on your feet. And even though I think it was nerve-wracking and, you know, and stressful, actually I quite loved it. You know, there was something really sort of like quite life-affirming about that moment of just being in that the decision that you're going to make that minute is going to affect this. So it was, yeah, it was it was literally a plan of this is going to happen. No, it's not. This is going to happen. No, it's not. That's quite. I mean, it is quite stressful and also quite difficult. Like on your on your general life, isn't it? If you think, okay, I'm going to do this tomorrow, and they go, no, you're not. You're going to do it like mm. now. Yeah, yeah. It was um, it was one of those things we were we were planning to do um, a, a big quite a big film. Uh, there was a, a story I'd seen a documentary called Death on a Mountain about a cyclist called Tommy Simpson, and I just rang Mark after I'd seen it and said. Have you heard about this guy? You know, Mark said, I watched it myself on, you know, BBC iPlayer, whatever. We'd both seen this documentary. And it was this story that had been airbrushed out of, almost it vanished. And this guy had been BBC Sports Personality of the Year, really famous last world champion, you know, and before Mark Cavendish had been this incredible cyclist who died, suffocated to death on the mountain trying to climb it. And, uh, and I'd said to Mark, you know, this, everything was kind of, you know, British cycling was climbing. We were, Channel 4, we were looking at, I'd made a film for three or four million quid. We were looking at a 10 or 15 million pound film and we're driving to the, um, I'm driving to Dinor Film Festival to meet Mark to, to really work out how we're going to do this project. And I was pretty scared. I was thinking, how, do you, how am I going to shoot the Tour de France? You know, I'm used to people, you know, knocking around in flats and playing pool in <laughs> pubs. But, you know, I, I was kind of thinking this is a bit out of my comfort zone. And that phone call came and changed everything. Because, you know, I'd got this massive regret in my life. One of the only regrets I'd got in my life was missing that gig. And suddenly there was this opportunity. And neither Mark nor myself gave it more than a second's thought. It was like, we're going to... Would, I would lose all of that film, all of the funding, to just see them rehearse once. And yeah. so when, when, you, when you go in with that kind of passion and you kind of go... When we turned up to first meet them, they were playing Bye Bye Badman. And you stood outside this barn in the middle of nowhere... And you can hear this being played inside. And I remember saying to Mark, if this, even if they just say at the end of it they don't want to make anything, it's maybe not for them. We've seen this, you know. Yeah. You can see that in the film. The film is... Have, has, have, how many of you have actually seen the film? Have a few of you seen it? Or is it... Hello. It <laughs> <laughs> only opened today. <laughs> yeah, I know, I've just wondered. I just wondered. But, um, the film is kind of... We could kind of say it's divided into three, really. So there's a, there's a bit at the beginning, which is what we've just talked about, a kind of rehearsal time, and you see the, the roses rehearsing, and you see you two arriving looking really nervous and <laughs> going in and getting excited. Then there's a bit in the middle where they play a secret Warrington gig, and you meet a lot of, um, of the fans, and you see the Warrington gig, and then they go on tour around Europe, nearly split up, and then you see the Heaton Park bits. So well, I'm going to show a couple of, uh, of clips later on, but I'd just like to talk a little bit about that rehearsal time, yeah. because obviously you not knowing what was going to happen ever you, was that the point where you thought well, we might have a film if you film them in rehearsal and it looks good um i think the f the first point at which i, I, I realized in the rehearsals because you know normally as a as a director of drama you you basically choose you go this isn't working from here your acting's fantastic but i'm in the wrong place or you know, I'm in the right place, the acting's not working, you know, you can kind of, you've got control, and even though I improvise everything, you know, when you go and work with a band who are, literally, they've got their own stresses and strains, They're, they've got a, a date not many weeks away, playing in front of 75,000 people, and so that, you know, ultimately I turned up with the cameras, and I'm not a kind of bombastic 
documentary filmmaker is going to walk in and, you know, with a big personality and go, I want to be here, I want to be there. But I was, for the, so for the first morning, I was sat at the back of the room looking at my footage going, oh, it just doesn't feel right, you know, but I don't quite know how to get inside. And so I just got my phone out and I put this little Super 8 app on it and I thought if I just, if I wander around with a massive camera on my shoulder, everyone's going to notice me. So I pretended I was almost like just testing for light or looking for readings and I shot this stuff of them rehearsing and when I got to this centre point, you'd got the lead guitarist and the bass guitarist here and the drummer and the vocalist here and all four of them were like looking across almost like a crucifix to the centre and when I got into that central point I realised that's where I need to be, you know, but I need to be here with four cameras, you know, and it's a small room, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to sit down with the band and kind of go, what I've seen in this point here, it, no one in the world has ever seen of you and very rarely get to see of any other bands. This is the point at which all of your, uh, you know, the, the sort of tenderness, the closeness, the tiny looks, it's all where I'm sat here, you get all of it. When I'm at the back of the room, you see none of it. And this is where your songs have been written. And you can tell this is where they've been written. Because when they play a gig, they look out to an arena or to a crowd of people. Yeah. And so I, I could tell that that was really special. And when they sort of said, you know, whatever you need to do, you know, if you need four cameras, obviously we don't want to feel like there's four million people in the room, but if, if, if you think that's what we need. And then when I shot it, all the time I would show them why I'd shot it and what I'd, excuse yeah. me, what I'd shot. One of my favourite moments, that, that moment, I... Cause I can read him like a book, you know, as a producer, you kind of trying to, like I say, he's just thinking and I just, he went in with his iPhone and, and then showed, remember him sort of showing the, like Ian and John and, and, and everyone after, and everyone going, this is, and this little black and white app on his, and it was like, I could just tell that he'd seen where we needed to be. And, and that, I think that was the point where we thought, let's, the worst thing happens, they split up tomorrow, we've got a film, you know, that, and then obviously Warrington's a bonus and then, everything else, but that, you just think, you know what, as a Roses fan, I would love to have seen that. And, you know, and I'd, I'd love to, I mean, going back through that footage, you know, I mean, literally, I kept, <laughs> it was called on the call sheet, private gig. <laughs> because yeah. that felt like it was a private gig, you know, yeah. and like I keep saying, it's just, like, only now doing this press that you can, and doing like, the film coming out, and finally being able to just release it, like cut the umbilical cord and out it goes. It's like, do you realize what's just happened the last 18 months? Yeah. The bit, uh, obviously, part of the Stone Roses appeal, they're a great band, but a lot of it is the fans, the fans' reaction to the band, which is uh, constantly kind of astonishing within the gigs, and I think. And this, the central section is about, is a Warrington secret gig where a lot of fans turn up and there's a thousand tickets free, but they have to get in. And some people don't make it. There's a clip that I'd like, we could show now, which will illustrate some of the passion. Well, I found I want to go home on the news and it was too late, really. But I've just seen about three people I know going in who know nothing about music. Devastated. It's bittersweet. I'm so close to them, I can't get in. There's nobody rock and roll what I do. I'm a deputy head teacher. I'm seeing a girl at work with her. And I offered her a permanent job to, let, to come in and she's, she wouldn't swap it. I've offered to give somebody my car, but he's not having it, he's not having it at all. Um, I'm, I'm stopping short in my house, but I'm close to offering my house to get in. <laughs> but at least I'm here, I can say I was close to it. It makes me very sad, it's a very upsetting part, that part. Um, but that part of Warrington, where you get people who are standing outside who miss, who miss out, uh, or who get in, 
that part actually reminded me quite a lot of some of your dramas because you, you, get, you get quite a lot out of the people. They, they speak from the heart, don't they, at that point? Yeah, I think I realised that was the... When I got to Warrington, because I think, like Mark said, when we did the rehearsals, we realised we'd got a film of some kind. You know, we'd got this... The band played... They announced their comeback in you know, October, November 2011 and started rehearsing and letting us you know, sort of go into rehearsals in March 2012. And they'd been working through the songs. They'd never played any two songs back to back. They'd never sort of like played one straight into another one. And I suggested, you know, why don't you put a mini concert on for us? We'll film it with these four cameras from the middle. We'll all stand in the middle and look at each person so we could get this multi-screen so you could see everybody at the same time. Um, that was the first point at which we'd got a film of some description but when we got to Warrington that was the first time I sort of went this is mine you know this is these yeah. people I went there thinking I was like the number one fan I was the only person that really got it I got this <laughs> special rapport and relationship with him and then I met a million other people like me on that day who you know who were far more passionate far you know these so when I got there I kind of realised some of the things I was filming there's a guy that m makes a speech within that section that I couldn't have written any better if I'd sat for six weeks trying to write this speech. You know, he says, there's a reason why I've still got my hair like this. There's a reason, reason why I've never worn a tie. There's a reason why I still listen to that album at least once a week and it still makes me tingle. And as someone's saying that, you're going, where's that coming from? Mm -hmm. I couldn't write that. And, and you realised that these people I've been basing my characters on for the last 20 years... I'd been pretty close to the money because the real version is so similar to what was in my films. And the, the only worry I had when we did Warrington was, you know, I don't know that all of the band that well. I'm going to show them this section where there's 25 minutes where they're not in the film. What are they going to think? <laughs> and it's every single member's favourite piece yeah, of the film it. when they're not in the film. They love that more than anything. And I think also what was... Because there was one moment when we showed Ian in, I think it was Hamburg. Would you gone to Hamburg? When we went there, yeah. just before we we went back out, and we went up to Ian's, you know, we went up to Ian's room and just showed him that section, and I could just see on his face how touched. And when when John and Manny saw it, that we, and just I could see, you can see on their face that they don't see that. They're you know they're getting picked up, they're on the way in, they get going straight into a dressing room. They don't see. They people tell them about the build up, but suddenly there was a moment where we could actually go. This is what happened. You know, and all these people, we had the most amazing crew that day, and I'd like to thank them from the bottom of my heart because literally we had all these cameras and we said, look, if you get an amazing story, just come and find me or Shane, tell us what it is and we might just... And they were just like the teacher, they were just, yeah. they were on it. Everyone was in tune and knew exactly what we needed and, and you know, and we got it. And I mean, you know, what you've just seen is the most... And by the way, he got in, <laughs> I would like yeah. to say. <laughs> we got him in. Mark managed to wangle five tickets from security and said, you know, look, there's people out here that are, there's people who are getting in that just heard about it on Facebook by yeah. look, they don't really know the Stone Roses <laughs> stuff. There's people that were getting in, like that guy said, and Mark sort of said, I want to try and get four or five tickets because there's people out here that are literally breaking my heart because I can tell that, you know, yeah. they yeah, basically it deserve so it far much. And so Mark got some of those key people in. But there were, you know, there's a moment in the film where the first song's been played inside and it's almost like a cathedral in this room. 
an incredible gospel moment. And then you just cut outside, and there's three really <laughs> sad-looking chaps with phones filming a door oh. with some noise coming through it. It was like you... Bullseye when the speedboat, look what you could have won, yeah. wasn't it? That was the... <laughs> yeah. Probably too young. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it, buddy. All right, sister. I'd like to talk about the final part of the film, which is the kind of Heaton Park gigs. Yeah. Um, and um, you made a particular decision, which... Um, uh, we'll illustrate with a with a clip in a minute. But then what I'd like to say to you, lovely audience, I know you're just sitting here having a nice time, but you're going to have to ask questions in about kind of five minutes, <laughs> just so you know. Um, but I'd like to, if we could see this uh, clip now from Heaton Park, and then we're going to talk about it. that come out of that. Obviously, the first one is they broke in. <laughs> yeah. um, but the element of that that I really like is that the Stone Roses, for a lot of people who... They look younger, those people who've broken in, but for older people, we're about that slightly kind of get up and, and, and you know do what you want kind of thing. And the fact that they broke in really cheered me up, actually. I thought it was quite a, a lovely element of the film. Yeah, I, I think I realised after Warrington that there was no way I was going to be able to recapture in a big arena, that, that moment, you know, there was something emotional that happened at Warrington that I sort of thought, well, I'm going to get to Heaton Park. I've almost made a rod for my own back by going and attending this gig because you've got the build-up of the day, the fan stories, and then you see these people make it to the gig. And uh, it, was, it was really moving, you know, and, um, and I was kept thinking to myself, how on earth am I going to find anything personal? How am I going to get... I've been get, you know, I've seen the plans. I'm giving these blueprints. They're going. It's a hundred foot across. <laughs> you can be fifty foot that way or fifty foot that way. You can't stand near Ian. You can't be an inch away. It's just the nature of the beast. Is that you're going to end up with Glastonbury footage? No matter which way you look at it, you can't get anything other than well. You can't seemingly get anything other. And I realised <laughs> that the um, the secret to to Heaton Park was to make it a spectacle mixed in with um, filth and the dirge <laughs> and people having pisses up fences and people climbing on, you know, th there's some brilliant moments. And so I said, I split the team between half of the people catching the gig and I said the other half, I don't want the classic attractive woman on top of her husband's shoulders. And all. I want to find some guy that basically paid 65 quid for a ticket and sat in, asleep in a bush. <laughs> you know, find me that guy. We did. You know, find me the guy that's addicted to hot dogs and doesn't want to watch it because he's eating loads and loads of sausages. <laughs> and they found these people. And so it's interspersed with this amazing helicopter shot that looks like something from Lord of the Rings with a million orcs walking towards a stage. And then there's a bloke that basically drank way too much way too early, leaning against it like a donut stand. And you go in, 65 yeah. quid, you mad maniac, you know. And I sort of realised that I could find the humanity in 
the people because the fans made Warrington special and it joined together and I couldn't make Heaton Park personal in the way that it just physically wasn't possible without ruining the gig and having me stood there with me fat ass hanging out, you know, hey Ian, do this, <laughs> you know, and I sort of, and I, and I had to find another way. So, so fool's gold, we ended up, <laughs> we sort of, we, we went a bit far really because I'd used two cameras Two cameras was, was exotic on This Is England. It's like, whoa, two cameras. <laughs> on Heaton Park, there was 36 cameras. And, um, and, and the thing Did you suddenly <laughs> feel like a massive ego? I'm in control. It wasn't 36 so much, cameras. What it did is it made me realise that, you know, through, obviously, Mark, I didn't organise it. Mark organised it. You know, I just came up with the numbers <laughs> and Mark made it happen. I was just wandering around in a beret, like floating around on a <laughs> Turkish delight. <laughs> eating exotic chocolates. Um, but Mark um, made it happen. And, and to be fair, what it did is that film that I nearly was about to make, that I was probably quite worried about making, when I did Heaton Park... S the 70, cycling film, you mean? 75,000 people. You kind of go in, 200 people in the peloton climbing a mountain. Easy peasy. <laughs> you know, it, I don't mean it is, but it made me realise that as a filmmaker, if you, if you love, absolutely passionate about the story... It, it, and it can be microscopic or it can be universal and huge. The secret is your heart being in it. And because my heart was in it, I came up with the numbers and I said it has to be... Mm. It's not 36 because I want to look like, you know, and hey, I'm a great... Yeah. Every Hitch. camera was used, that's the great... As a producer, you hate waste. Yeah. <laughs> but, and every single, you know, every cameraman that went out there can be a camera... And it was just literally... You know, we've got GoPros, we've got, like, slow-mo, we've got a helicopter, and every single one... Ca captured a moment and made it into the film exactly. so there wasn't one person that was nope, like skiving I had an amazing tweet today from, a, from one of the guys uh, uh, Chris who uh, filmed a little bit of Warrington and a little bit of Heaton Park and he went today to watch the film because he couldn't make the premiere because he was working and I got a text from him a, a message from him today just saying he's just sat in a, in a car crying oh. it literally was just loved the film but also that these shots that he just thought were nothing you know, you know, you don't know if this is going to make the film, yeah. but he had quite a lot in there. So that's when you think, oh, yeah, okay, this is, you know, this is this is a, a this is working now. This lot of mad, you know, this mad unit of people that you know. And like I say, we 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 had a very small team on this, like really a core, quite a you know. And we made that because we didn't want the band to ever feel like we were turning up on mass. But when you got to Eaton Park, it was mass anyway, so we could grow. We had like two trailers and. You know, and like it's the equipment, a helicopter, and all this kind of stuff was insane. But you know, but every single thing was used, and that's you know, when you when you look back, and sometimes you make a film, and you look back at something that you and you know, you you know how much. It's always the scenes that get cut, the ones that cost loads of money. But on this, it was really really good to sort of go, that's in, that's in, yeah, okay, that was a tick. <laughs> and did you go up in the helicopter yourself? I wanted to. I went up with the one in Dead Man's Shoes because I really have just. But on this one, no, we couldn't. We. Um, um, I, was on, I was on the radio to the guy, and it was the guy who shot, I think he, he shot a load of the Blue Planet, and he was uh, amazing. And one of the most nerve-wracking moments, we'd spent all this money, and then the manager came out, and I oh, got a helicopter, and he went, you've got to get it away, you've got to get it away, it's too noisy. The band can hear it, the band can hear it. And I'm like, oh no, we're going to waste all this money and all this thing. But it was a police helicopter that was low, like there was some joyrider going around. So, um, so luckily ours was a bit further away, so we got him in in the end. Oh, you're all right. Okay, audience, how are you feeling about questions? Are you feeling scared? Do you reckon you can ask them? One of the scenes that I was, had tears in my eyes was you're in the rehearsal space, this private rehearsal space that we'd all heard about and we just wondered what was going on in there. And there's one point where I think John says, 
shall we do waterfall very casual and they do it <laughs> yeah and it's brilliant and beautiful and you're in the middle of that i just wonder what that was like for you yeah there was a few i think yeah when you're on a, a, a job like that where you have to kind of try and have a reality check going on you know and you kind of go and doing a film i'm filming rennie um you know my camera because basically there was four cameramen and because i'd started off filming it you know to try and make everyone feel comfortable it started with me and then slightly grew week by week there was a moment where it, I, I, you know you sort of think what's that salty deposit rolling down my cheek what are you doing and uh, there, yeah there was a there was a moment in waterfall where it became a bit too much for me you know and um, it's a it's a really hard balance to draw because normally making films is so stressful that you don't get chance to cry or feel emotional or or to get a moment there's the odd moment where an actor will will just deliver something and you know you just know it's going to be an amazing take there's the odd time in your life where you know a plane's not coming no one's going to a window's not going to for lights not going to go out there isn't going to be a hair in the gate you just know every now and again someone starts speaking at the beginning of a scene and you go this is going to be one of them great ones and it's going to literally plop into the film and when john said what are we going to do first? <laughs> yeah. Should we do waterfall? You just kind of, I felt it. And it was, um, there was a number of occasions where I tried not to blub like a, a big wally. Um, but that was one of those where I was holding this camera and... Um, <laughs> Your smile holding that camera, because it was just, when some, because everyone's like really, when you see somebody on behind camera, they, they're like that, really concentrating on what they're trying to get. And I looked around, not just at Shane, but at Laurie who was on Ian, and everyone, everyone was going... <laughs> it was just, everyone just was smiling. You know, I've never seen that before. It was like, this is special. You know, and I, yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, it was amazing. So anyone else got any questions? Don't be shy. Obviously, you're used to working with actors. Did you find it harder or more difficult to work with musicians? Because they're a bit more anarchic or wild. I think or... this is England's worst. Yeah. <laughs> no, this, honestly, if you came on, you knew what I had to deal with on This Is England. I mean, literally... You know, just because we're shooting out of sequence and they go out and they are the gang. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times on This Is England, they go out and, um, and I, I've heard, because I've got mates in Sheffield where we shoot it, I know what they've been up to. I said, oh, what did you do last night? Oh, I was in bed at 11 and my mate's home at two o'clock because he's a bouncer. And, um, and I was just thinking, they're going to get a black eye. You know, somebody's going to, you know, it's going to be anarchic and they are. So the weirdest thing, what was quite, like I said, the, there was the stresses on this of, uh, <laughs> of, of working... With, with not a script. But actually, you know, what was great about this is that, you know, you're working with guys that are sort of like, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do it, very clear in black and white, and very, you know. <laughs> so compared to the, I'm sure I, I, we have to do a costume drama with really, really relaxed old actors, because that would be, yeah. be a dream. Maggie, Maggie Moon, is <laughs> yeah, it Maggie Moon? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but honestly, no, I mean, it's, it, it, I mean, I think that whatever, whatever job you do, whether it's with a musician, whether it's with, They've all got the stresses and things to manage. And, um, and on, like I say on this, what was great is that we didn't have to worry about what they were doing. We never had to worry about what the Roses were doing when we weren't filming. Whereas on a lot of films, you're worrying about them, like you become their surrogate dad. But yeah. there was also, though, there was a... I mean, you did have some rules, though, didn't you? you, they, you they said that they, they didn't want you to interview them and stuff. So there were some kind of... Yeah, I, I got that. Yeah, I, you know, when we first met, they were kind of like, look, we've just done a press conference. We've just all very recently got back together after a long time apart what you know what's your aim do you want us to all sit for two hours each and chew the fat about the pain of the past because we're just about to go and play this gig and we we all feel happy and, and I was like you know look the bottom line is I'm not trying to make the Jeremy Kyle show I'm 
<laughs> I, I, it's a love letter from my end. So, you know, let me come and I'll film it and we'll make a, a film. And um, if people want to sit down and tell me their ailments, I'll film it. But if you don't, then that's probably more beautiful, really. Um, we have got a chance for one more question. If anyone wants that gentleman there wants to ask it. I can tell. Wait till you get the mic, though. Um, can you see you working with other bands um, that split up, uh, such as Oasis? If they get back together, can you see yourself working with them? It's, it's a funny one, because this band held a, a really special place, and so, in a way, um, I, I don't know what I could personally gain by doing that, because I gave so much... I didn't see my kids sometimes for, for weeks, if not months at a time. And, you know, I've got a young family and I, I would only ever do that to my family once, to be fair. It's not, you know, the nature of going on tour and doing those kind of things um, and trying to be a dad just don't combine. <coughs> so maybe, I don't think I would do something that mirrored what I've done now, but whereas the, it's always about the story and something, you know, capturing your heart, the Stone Roses were... Uh, a massive part of my my youth and so that became something very special I wouldn't ever rule anything like that out again but I, I wouldn't become the go-to director to do it just partly because it's so hard mm. you know I literally went off one day went to about a few gigs come back me my son who's four is like outside service in a car with a moustache and a girlfriend <laughs> I'm like oh what have I done to myself this is I've gone and lived out my rock and roll dreams but like no one likes me at home you know and uh I'd like to repair that damage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks very much for that great question and thank you for being a lovely audience. Yeah. And of course, thank you very much <laughs> to Shane Meadows and Mark Herbert. Thanks, thank Miranda. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.